Good morning. So, um, Stephen, you did it for me as far as the exhortation was concerned because that's, that's exactly what I had on my heart. I was um, thinking about just why are we here? Why is it that we um, are studying God's Word? You know, not every church goes line by line, line chapter by chapter, book by book. You know, there's a lot of topical um, studies, a lot of topical teachings and sermons and, and so on and so forth. So uh, we need to know the reason why we go through the Word of God the way we do systematically, line by line, chapter by chapter, is because it, it's, it's not to, to gain this knowledge of God's Word, but rather in that knowledge to behold His glory. That really is the main reason for coming and studying His Word, is that we may behold His glory. You know, one of the thoughts that came to mind was, have, you, have, has, have any of you gone to the Grand Canyon? Yeah? Quite a few of you. Okay. So, you go to the Grand Canyon, and I remember people like explaining to me what it looked like, um, what you would experience, all of that, right? But... It wasn't like I thought, yeah, it's beautiful. And I saw pictures. It's like, that looks pretty amazing. It looks like a long ways across, very deep, like pretty, pretty amazing. But I remember the, the first time coming up to the edge of the Grand Canyon. And I was filled with awe. I, I, I looked across the chasm. And I saw the depth. And I saw the colors. And I saw the beauty of it. And it was quite literally breathtaking. It was in that moment that I was, I was in awe. No matter who it was that explained to me how articulate they were and eloquent they were and the words that they used and the description of the Grand Canyon, there was nothing that could prepare me for that moment that I myself experienced the Grand Canyon for myself. It's much the same in regards to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can tell you, we can explain it to you, we can lay it out according to God's word. But until you, yourself, take that active step of faith and believe God's word for what it is, it's God's word and he is faithful. Up until that point, you cannot behold his glory, you cannot behold his beauty, you will not know it personally. You will know it and experience it through someone else. And there's nothing like knowing him intimately. You know, we sang these songs and as we sung God's praises, those who know him most intimately, um, really in that time of worship, we're drawing closer to him and knew that in that moment, it was truly these songs of praises to the creator of the universe, not only the creator of the universe, but the one who formed us in the womb. And, and he knew us before we were even knitted in our mother's womb. The one who sent his son to die on the cross to atone for our sins, that we may be reconciled unto the father. We were singing his praises. And what I would hope that this morning, as we go through God's word, that we, we would behold his glory we would see him for who he is. There will be responses to Jesus Christ and his teaching, and we're going to go through that this morning. But really, what I encourage you to do is fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. 
He desires, he wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He desires that we would have an abundant life in Jesus Christ. As we abide in him, we are fruitful. And that fruit is all to his glory and meant for that. And so we are in Mark chapter 6 this morning. And I pray that we behold his glory. The title of this morning's message is Despised and Rejected by People. Despised and Rejected by People. So Mark chapter 6. In verse 1, we begin, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. Let's pray. Father, we know as we, as we do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a, a relationship, Lord, that we have come to know through salvation, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we, as we read these verses, Lord, and the account of this event, Lord, undoubtedly for those who already believe, this is hard to believe. This is, Lord, we are astonished. We, Lord, look at this and cannot believe that this could happen. And yet it does. It does today. I pray, Father, that this morning you would speak to us, that you would build our faith, and that if there is anyone here who does not have that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, have not surrendered their lives to Christ, that, that this would be the day of salvation, or that you would minister to each one accordingly. For you love us with an everlasting love. You know exactly what we need. And we are here by no coincidence. And so I pray, Father, that your spirit would move and minister to us in a special way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Despised and rejected by people. You know, one of the most difficult experiences a person can go through is personal rejection. It's one of the most difficult things that that you can go through it is to personally be rejected by others, especially by those that you uh, respect or love the most. This is why peer pressure is so effective. It's effective in getting people to do things they shouldn't do. And on the positive side of the coin, it can also be effective in encouraging someone to do something that they ought to do. You know, that's why as we gather together as a church and we get to know God's word, we are to stir each other up to love and good works. 
That's the exhortation that you receive. That is the encouragement that you would receive according to God's word and by his spirit. A wise man by the name of Bruce Lee said this, quote, I'm not in this world to live up to your expectations and you're not in this world to live up to mine, close quote. That is, that is a good quote. That's one to keep in mind. But if we are Christ's, are we in this world to live up to someone else's expectations or standard, even at the cost of being rejected by the world? Not someone else's, but someone else's as in a, a, a person. And we are, as Christians, to live up to a standard. That is the truth of God's word. You know, John chapter 6, verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus is our example, is he not? If he himself gave himself, submitted his will, and yielded to the will of the Father, how much more should we? In fact, in John four thirty four, Jesus said to them, his disciples, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. We know according to Isaiah 53.3 that Jesus was despised and rejected by by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Are you acquainted with sorrows and acquainted with grief? Well, he knows how you feel. He knows what you're going through. And yet, he kept his eyes fixed on the will of the Father, fulfilling His will, regardless of the circumstances that he was faced with. Regardless of the rejection that he experienced. We were warned of where we are to build our affections. Regardless of the level of difficulties. And even in spite of them. Going through them. To persevere in Christ. To be overcomers in Christ. To continue steadfastly. In the will of the Lord. You know James 4.4 says. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world. Is enmity with God. Therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world. Makes himself an enemy of God. No one makes you an enemy of God. But yourself. As we align ourselves. With the enemy. We actually make ourselves. The enemies of God. Paul Washer said this. Quote. If this world has your heart. Why would you think that heaven is your home? Close quote. Deeply convicting to me as I read that quote. I want to long less for anything that has to do with this world as I draw closer to the Lord and, and desire and long more for God's glory that one day I will know through my Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God who is despised and rejected by people. And He is our Savior because He fulfilled the will of the Father by going to the cross and to serve His shed blood as atonement, as a full payment for our sin in the satisfaction of God's wrath. He may have been despised and rejected by people, but He was loved and received by the Father. That is more important than anything. As we consider ourselves and the things that we experience in life, again, to be despised and rejected, to be 
ignored or treated badly because of sin is one thing. But God tells us if we are despised and rejected because we align ourselves with and abide in Christ, oh, we are blessed. This morning we'll see the painful rejection of Jesus by his hometown, by those most familiar with him. And with that familiarity, they believe they know him enough to reject him and take offense at him. When he teaches, he's simply teaching them the word. And yet it's in that moment that those most familiar with him reject him. Listen, Jesus may have been despised and rejected by people. But again, I remind you, we are to behold his glory and love him, demonstrating that love by keeping his commandments, regardless of who despises us and who rejects us. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, talking about a standard of love. Our love for our mother, father, even sons and daughters and anyone else should look like hatred compared to the love that we have for Christ. Matthew 10.37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And let's follow Jesus Christ. Despised and rejected by people. Three things I want to point out as we go through these six verses is number one, the response of the people. They were astonished and offended. Secondly, they're the ones that limited how, how effective God's work was in their lives. They, they were self-limited. And thirdly, we again look to Jesus. He was amazed and yet he was undeterred. Let's look at, again at the first three verses here. Astonished and offended. Verse 1, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him. Jesus, at this moment, had uh, in, in this place, had traveled from the area of Galilee, uh, west southwest, to his hometown of Nazareth. It's about a third of the way between the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, which is on the west southwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee, between there and Caesarea, which is north of what we would know today as being Tel Aviv. And so he traveled that distance, and he came to his hometown. And right away, we see how it was that Jesus went right into the synagogue on that Sabbath and began to teach. I want to give you a little background, though, to bring us up to this point. Because Jesus had gone from Nazareth to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. You remember that. We've gone through this. And we know that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So we see that immediately upon being baptized, he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And during that time, he was tempted by Satan. And the angels ministered to him. 
He had left Nazareth, spent a little over a month out in the wilderness, and he continued on into the area around the Sea of Galilee. Even going to the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee, a town called Capernaum. And we know that he went from Capernaum, he, he went to the eastern shore, about five miles across the Sea of Galilee, to the land of the Gadarenes, where the man was possessed with the demons. We studied and we saw how it was that that event unfolded and what had taken place there. And then from there, he went back across to the western shore. And then from there, he traveled downward. Now, we know that throughout this time that he had called the twelve as apostles who would witness and testify of who Jesus is. They would experience, they would witness his teaching and his miracles. His family, it's not that they didn't know where he was. In fact, they knew exactly where he was. In Mark chapter 3, we know in two different places that his family had come to take him away. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we see one instance, and then again we see in the same chapter, in verses 31 through 33. Nonetheless, the Lord was focused, he was fixed on fulfilling the will of the Father. And Jesus went to the synagogue and he taught. We learn about how the people responded to his teaching. Now, on the surface, of course, if you bring up these words, they were astonished. Uh, you know, that, of course, it's an amazement. It's, it's, it's shocking. It's uh, overwhelming. It could mean something good. It could mean something bad and could be positive or it could be negative. But they weren't just astonished, but we know that it's in the negative because they were also offended. They were astonished and they were offended. You can be astonished for something that's good or you can be astonished about something that is bad, right? You could be offended because you don't believe what someone is saying or you can be offended because what they're saying is not true. But the people were astonished beginning with that word. Let's look at that word. Astonished. The, the people from Jesus' hometown, he's back in Nazareth, and, and they heard him teach, and they were surprised. They were amazed. They were filled with wonder. They were confounded. The people undoubtedly heard of all his miracles. They heard of all his teachings, everything that had taken place. In fact, they more than likely heard about how he cast out demons and how he even raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And now, they hear him teach for themselves. And they were astonished. They began to question the man they, they, uh, they thought they knew. You can imagine it. We know Jesus isn't Mary's mother and Joseph and you know they're naming all the brothers? Is it isn't this him? They were confounded. They began to question where did this man get these things? What things? The things he was teaching. Where did he get them from? What is the wisdom given to him? 
And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? By all outward appearances, he looked like just an ordinary man. He was uh, not a man of a form that a man who would get your attention. The Bible describes him as just being ordinary. In their own minds and hearts, they began to reason in such a way as to convince themselves that this was impossible. This is what the world does. They try and reason. They try and justify unbelief. And yet, no matter how it is that a person describes or how a person justifies or believes what they believe, what is true is true. This was true of Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. But these people, in their own minds and hearts, they began to reason in such a way as to convince themselves that this was absolutely impossible. Why? Because they knew Jesus had not been under the tutelage of a rabbi. So where in the world did he get this this knowledge, this wisdom? They never heard, and and we know that this to be true. It it confounded uh, the religious leaders. Those who heard him, we've never heard someone teach in their own authority. They always taught under the authority of someone else. They they quoted their, their most favorite rabbi, but they never taught in their own authority. And yet, here was Jesus. He was teaching with authority. Jesus didn't quote another rabbi. So what is the origin of his wisdom? Who gave it to him? In other words, what they were saying is this. Who does he think he is? They were beginning at that very moment to take offense to him. It reminds me of Joseph's family. In Genesis chapter 37, we have the account of Joseph and his dreams. In verse 5, It says, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? Um, So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Uh, Then he dreamed another dream. And told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. We know the story of Joseph. How it was that he was sold into slavery. There's much that happened with Joseph. And we know that his family didn't believe him. And it was God used that whole situation to bring about them through a, a famine. And, um, and Joseph acknowledged that uh, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And used Joseph to bring him through that famine. 
Well, as we consider Jesus, the origin of Jesus' wisdom was himself. Uh, You see, he is the Word. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if we lack wisdom, where do we go? Not Bruce Lee. And not Paul Washer. We go to the Lord himself. We go to the word. If we lack wisdom, we need only ask in faith. And God will give to us without reproach, as it says in James 1.5. And wisdom is only known in in the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It is known in Christ alone. The people from Jesus' hometown were so familiar with him that they took offense at his wisdom and knowledge. Again, they couldn't believe that this man, this carpenter, the son of Mary, would have such wisdom and such knowledge. And he taught. And they were astonished and they were offended. Astonished is one thing, but why offended? You see, people take offense when they perceive insult. They get annoyed. They get resentful. They become bitter toward a person who is simply speaking what is true, according to God's word. But why toward Jesus? Simply because they felt he was elevating himself above them by teaching the way he was and doing the things he was doing when all the while he was simply being obedient to the Father and had come even for their sake, for the benefit of the very people who were astonished and offended by what is true. Isaiah chapter 53 This whole gospel, the gospel of Mark, paints for us a picture of the suffering servant. And and we see here in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The suffering servant is our victorious king. For he knew in so doing, 
that even those who were in the moment astonished and offended by his teaching and his works, he came to offer his blood on their behalf. At a moment, they would see him lifted upon the cross. And of course, his desire is that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that they too would know salvation. Jesus Christ is our example. What are you going through? Have you astonished and offended those around you by speaking truth? Do it in a manner that is glorifying to the Lord, but speak the truth nonetheless, because Jesus wasn't concerned with astonishing or offending offending his hearers. He simply fulfilled the will of the Father and spoke what was true. Astonished and offended, and then they themselves limited what God did in Nazareth. Self-limited, verse 4, as we continue back in Mark chapter 6, says, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Jesus knew that in the world, rejection was part of the teaching experience. As he went through and spoke the truth and he taught the truth, people would indeed despise and reject him and turn away from him, accusing him falsely and ultimately crucifying him. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples in John chapter 15 and verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus speaking said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of the household? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, verses 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And lastly, in Acts chapter 5, in verse 40, 
And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Persevere. Folks, brothers, sisters, we have an amazing example before us, Jesus Christ. We have these disciples that had been beaten, had been commanded by the civil authorities to not, no longer teach in this name. And they thought, by God, we have been blessed. We have been honored to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus was despised and rejected. People were astonished and offended by the people that were so familiar with him. Stand by because sometimes those closest to you are the ones that also are astonished and offended. But you need to be resilient. You need to persevere. You need to do the very same thing that Jesus did and these other apostles and disciples did of Jesus Christ. They were simply obedient to God's word, come what may. You also can become so familiar with someone that you begin to despise them for teaching soundly, explaining the truth of God's word as it becomes offensive to what you want to believe and do. You argue about it. You spend all kinds of mental energy trying to war against it and ultimately against that person. But you must ask yourself, is what is being spoken and taught aligning with the word of God? If so, am I guilty of rejecting it? Then in that moment we ought to confess, it is my own heart, it is my own desire. I have not yielded to the will of God. It is my own heart that is not right, and my thoughts that need to be taken captive, I need to subject them to the authority of God's word. Because listen, Jesus' power was not limited but rather it was the people's unbelief that limited its effectiveness with them. We can do the very same thing. Our unbelief does not diminish God's power, but rather its effectiveness in our lives, what God desires to do. It's our own doing. It's not God's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your friend's fault. It's not your enemy's fault. It's not the circumstances of the world's fault. None of that. We are going to be individually responsible and held accountable for how we respond to God's word in our lives. His offer of salvation, the truth of God's word. Salvation is not limited by people. Sometimes we believe that, but it's, it's not limited by people. 
but its effectiveness personally is stopped by unbelief, rejection of the truth, and the rejected offer of God's grace. Sometimes we, we blame, again, circumstances, and we blame even another person. Well, look, if, if someone else, if, if that's an example of a Christian, then I want no part of it. Listen, does that mean that the power of God's salvation has been diminished? Just because of the bad example of that person? The answer is no. Because I, prior to coming to Christ, saw plenty of bad examples. But as I came to and was exposed to God's word, I knew I had a personal individual responsibility to respond to his word. Had nothing to do with anyone else. Rejection of the truth and the rejected offer of God's grace. That's what limits the effectiveness of salvation. We can reject it or we can receive it. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Listen, if you've been here time and time again, you've heard this over and over again, that means, and you haven't responded by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, that means that this verse, this very verse right here, has everything to do with you. Because he's being patient. At this very moment, uh, what others count as slowness, well, the Lord has not come back. Thank God he has not come back up to this point if you are not saved. Because you are either, you've either responded by receiving God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, or you've rejected it. But at this very moment, you have another opportunity. Because the effectiveness of God's word is not limited, for it serves to testify for you or against you, depending on whether you receive it or reject it. The choice is ours. But what we do limit by unbelief is God's desired outcome for you. Astonished and offended, self-limited, and lastly, amazed yet undeterred. In verse 6, it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. He marveled. What, what would amaze God? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Unbelief amazed him. The faith of um, the Roman centurion amazed him. I, I've, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Right? But this right here amazed the Lord. It's important to understand and note how Jesus responded to him being despised and rejected by the people. He started out by coming into Nazareth teaching and he continued to teach regardless of the response of the people. Remember, we just referred to the disciples how it was that even as they were jailed, as they were falsely accused, as they were beaten, as they were commanded to not teach the, the, the name of Jesus Christ, 
they yelled, yippee, great, we are blessed, we're honored to have been persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. And they, what did they do? They continued to teach. They continued to preach. Continue to teach, continue to preach, regardless of the response of anyone. This is what we have in Christ, the example in him. Why? Because what was most important was being faithful to fulfilling the Father's will. Why did Jesus marvel because of their unbelief? Well, just think about it. Jesus himself was amazed, filled with wonder, astonished at their unbelief. Let's just say, for instance, you're drowning. And someone comes along and offers to save you. Someone comes along, offers to save you, right? You see someone, maybe yourself, you're, you're, you're drowning. After, listen, after a while, being out in open water, you don't have enough strength to hold you up if you don't have anything to buoy you up, to hold you up. You lose strength, you're, you're going to go down. Can you imagine someone coming along and, and you just say, no, no thanks, no thanks, I'm, I'm fine. Wouldn't you be astonished? Like, there's no one else around. We're in the middle of the ocean. You're like, I know you're drowning. Wouldn't you be astonished? Wouldn't you be amazed? Wouldn't you marvel, like, what's wrong with you? Like, do you have a death wish? Right? You guys all with me? You guys good? Okay. All right. Just check in. I would be amazed. I'd be asking, what's, what's wrong with you? You'd want to, you would be inclined to just scoop them up. They must be out of their mind, right? And we're just going to go ahead and scoop them up. Hey, listen, when it comes to salvation and our obedience to God, he doesn't do that. There's no, thing, no such thing as universal salvation. He doesn't just save you against your will. It would be shocking. We'd be filled with wonder as to why anyone would reject the offer of being saved. How much more the offer of salvation? Because we have no life outside of Christ. In John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We have no life outside of Christ. We have no salvation outside of Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. And he said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the Philippian jailer. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Romans 10, 9. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
We know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, how it is that salvation comes by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, not by works. Otherwise, we would boast. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's up, it's up on the screen. It's a marveling. It's, why would anyone... Why would anyone reject salvation? Because Jesus did not marvel at anything else but unbelief. But it also did not stop him from continuing to do the work of the Father. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 8 Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Yes, Jesus marveled at their unbelief, and yet he continued to teach, amazed yet undeterred. And if you noticed, this section of scripture is bookended with the very thing that he was doing in the final portion. He was teaching. He came in, was teaching. He continued on, and he continued to teach. Jesus' own family did not believe him until after his resurrection. And I would ask you, what about you? Do you believe? Because God, God desires that no one perish, but that all would reach repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. Do you receive and believe the word of God as the word of men, or as it is the word of God? Do not be astonished and offended. Believe and receive. Why teach God's word? Why preach the gospel? So that you may believe and be saved and behold the glory of God. And so it is that Jesus not only gave us an example as a man that was rejected and despised by people and yet continued to persevere, but the reason why he did had everything to do with the offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we consider all that we've gone through this morning, Lord, I pray that we would most of all consider your grace and your love toward us, the offer of salvation that came through Jesus Christ, and how it is that he himself persevered. I pray, Lord, that we would persevere as we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would also persevere, Lord, regardless of what we are faced with, the difficulties that we experience, the rejection that we experience ourselves, Lord, that we would persevere in continuing to teach your word and preach the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. I do ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. There's no other way to the Father. There's nothing that we can do that will earn us a spot in heaven. In fact, our righteousness is like dirty garment before you, a holy and righteous God. Lord, I pray that Lord, they would see your beauty, your kindness, your mercy and the grace that you offer.
through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your son. And that there would be a response this morning. That we would confess our sins before you. That we would receive you as as Savior and Lord. You would give us a new heart, a new perspective, a new purpose in in our lives. that That we would honor and glorify you because we desire to bless and honor the one who gave us life eternal. And so, Father, we thank you for this moment. We pray this all in Jesus' name.